God's plan for your life is bigger and better than anything you could think of or plan. This message is the fifth in the series, I Will Not Settle. The message is entitled, Finding the Help You Need, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're involved in a series of messages entitled, I Will Not Settle, and I want to continue to talk to you this weekend about finding the help that you need. And we're going to put Jesus front and center this weekend and look at what Christ can do in your life in a very powerful and meaningful way. One of the things that we're looking at in this series is the fact that God has called you to have a fulfilled life, that God's plan for you is that you would not settle for less, but you would always go for the more, for the best that God has in store for you. Jesus made this clear in John chapter 10, verse 10. The reason that he came is described here in a very clear and succinct way. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to redeem you from the thief that wants to make your life life less and to give you a relationship with himself so that you can have a full and meaningful life, that you can live a life that is more. And the first decision along this journey to have a full life is to make the decision, I will not settle for less. God made me for more. Would you say it together with me? I will not settle for less. God made me for more. Let's say it once again, if you will. I will not settle for less. God made me for more. Now, when we make that statement, as much as we might mean it and desire it and long for it, the reality is we all have to deal with ourselves. And sometimes we can be very disappointed in who we are as people. Sometimes we're just not the more that we want to be. Sometimes we actually look at our life and it seems to be more of less rather than more of more. And so part of what we have to do is in our journey is to begin to deal with the, the, this hopelessness that often creeps into our lives. You know what? I'd like to be more, but I'm not sure that it's really possible for me. I'm not sure that I can be that person that I want to be. I'm not sure that I can really get God's best for my life. How do I do that? After all, I know who I am. I know my weaknesses. I know my failures. I know my foibles. And so how am I going to get to that kind of life? Well, the Apostle Paul described this in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse number 15. I'm going to read down through verse 25, and uh, we'll look at how he struggled with this, and then uh, we'll look at some lessons for our lives as well as a part of it. Paul writes and says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws I'm breaking. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. I know that I'm rotten through and through. So, so far as my old sinful nature is concerned, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I'm doing what I don't want to, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin still has me in its evil grasp. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, that is, this new nature in Christ. But there's something else deep within me, in my lower nature, that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So you see how it is. My new life tells me to do right. But the old nature that is still inside me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me 
from my slavery to this deadly lower nature. Let me stop there for a moment. Maybe you have felt that way in your life before. You want to do right, you end up doing wrong. You want to have the more life, the fullness of life in Jesus, but you find yourself uh, giving in to the, the pull of the flesh, giving in to that lower sinful nature, and you find yourself in the same predicament. Who will deliver me? Who will set me free? I feel so powerless to move from less to more. And then Paul answers his own question here when he asks the question, who will free me from slavery to this deadly lower nature, his answer is found in the next phrases, thank God it has been done by Jesus Christ our Lord, he has set me free. Paul found the secret of moving from less to more, and the secret was not in his own power, the secret was finding and tapping into the power of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see today, and what I want all of us to understand as a part of this series, if you're going to go from a less life to the more life, that is to be everything that God made you to be, to fulfill the purpose that he has for your life, you will never be able to do it in your own power. You can't do it by yourself. You can only do it in relationship with Jesus Christ and with the power that he brings because in and of ourselves, we are powerless to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, but in him, we find the power that we need. A lot of people think, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be strong and I'm going to get the willpower. I'm going to do everything I need to have the best life I can. And they try to live life in their own strength. It's called living by willpower. And willpower will never get you to the full dimension of your destiny. What will get you there is when you give God your will, then he gives you his power. So you surrender yourself to him and then he grants you the power that is necessary to become the person you could never become on your own. And what we're doing as a part of this, uh, these two messages in the series is we're looking at some powerless people. We're seeing how Jesus brought the power to help people who are powerless and see how it relates to your life. So we talked last weekend about three groups of people that Jesus ministered to. We talked about the fact that Jesus helped people who were lost uh, find salvation and find relationship with him. We talked about Jesus helping people who were bound up in life, the lady that was crippled and bound by an evil spirit, and how Jesus set her free. She was helpless but found hope in Christ. We talked about people who were sick find he finding healing in Jesus. There are three more that I want to share with you this weekend. So let's go ahead and dive into our notes for the three points for today's message. Number one, Jesus helps people who are oppressed. Jesus helps people who are oppressed. Satan is the author of oppression. In fact, he creates and deals in something called oppression. Let me define the word oppression for you. Oppression means that you're weighed down with pressure. That's the idea, oppression. There is a weighing down or a pressing down of pressure. You're pressed down into sorrow and pressed down sometimes into pain. You're put down by the circumstances or issues of life. You're subdued, you're suppressed, you're crushed, you're burdened. There's pressure coming against you that keeps you from being everything that you know God wants you to be. There are people who live with an oppressed spirit and God cares about people who are oppressed in Psalm chapter 9 verse number 9 the scripture says the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed a stronghold in the time of trouble that is God says if you're oppressed I'm the only one that can really help you I am your safe place I am your refuge 
I want to draw your attention to the story of a young man in the Bible that was oppressed, that was powerless to help himself, but he had an encounter with Jesus and came out of his powerlessness into a more light because of what Jesus did for him. And the story is found in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 37. The next day, after they come down from the mountain, by the way, this happens after Jesus' transfiguration on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, so they come down from the mountain. So they're down the next day. A large crowd met Jesus there. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring bring your son here. It's a very important phrase. So Jesus is inviting an oppressed person into his presence. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. Awe gripped the people as they saw this, the majestic display of God's power. Now, this is a very real story. Sometimes when you read your Bible, you can think, well, that's kind of a, a fable. It's kind of a fairy tale. No, this is a real story of a real father with his only son. And this boy was oppressed. He was spiritually oppressed by a demonic spirit. It had affected him psychologically. It even affected him physically. It affected him socially. Every realm of his life had been affected by the oppression of the adversary against him. He was under the influence of hellish forces in his life. And he was being pressed down. He was living a less life. And it was an unrelenting assault upon this young man. It was never a giving up. It was constant pressure upon him and constant pressure upon the father as well. And what happens in the stories we see, Jesus shows up in this environment where this boy is and where the father is and where the father makes the the request. And Jesus steps in to an environment where there's oppression and with a simple rebuke. That's a very important thing that Jesus does. With one simple rebuke, he drives the oppression from this boy's life. And there in that one moment, a powerless kid who is being controlled by the adversary suddenly is released from this burden, released from this pressure, and he lives the more life that God intended for him to live. He moves from powerlessness to an experience with the power of God that set him free. Jesus did for him what this young man could never do for himself. And what I want to say to you today is if you're feeling as though you're oppressed by something in your life, it may have been events that have happened to you or things that you feel like that you're dealing with that keep holding you down and limiting your life and pressing upon you. You want the more, but you feel like you can't get past the oppression that is pushing down upon you and keeping you down instead of letting you rise up into the fullness that God has for you. I want you to know that Jesus has the power and Jesus is willing to help people who are oppressed. Jesus sets the oppressed free. And that means he can do it for you. If he did it for this boy, he still does it in our lives today. For the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse number 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you're oppressed, there's hope for you. The second thing I want you to see today is that Jesus helps people who are rejected. There's no, there's no pain quite like the pain of rejection 
It's something that we fear. It's something that all of us work hard to try to avoid in life. But unfortunately, the reality is none of us can avoid all the rejection of life. Sometimes life hurts us. We're wounded by, by things that happen, by people who turn away from us in some way or don't accept us in some manner or actually abuse or hurt us in some way. We feel the, the sting of being abandoned, the sting of being rejected. And there are many people who are carrying around in their soul deep wounds of the soul because of rejections that, that have occurred in their life. It might affect them even for an entire lifetime. Maybe there's someone here today at one of our campuses as you're listening to this message that you know that inside of you, your life has been made less because of a wound in your soul that has happened because of someone abandoning you or someone rejecting you along the way and the sting of that still resides inside of you. You feel it from time to time and you know that it is affecting your functioning in some way. See, to be rejected means that you are no longer accepted or received or even acknowledged. It means that you've been dismissed at some level as being valueless or unacceptable. And while there are certainly things that happen in our life that are unavoidable in terms of rejection, it just happens by the ignorance of people at times, sometimes it also happens maliciously. People maliciously hurt us and wound us along the way. And so whether it happened to you in your life innocently in the sense of someone just ignorantly uh, hurt you in some way, or they did so maliciously, the pain is still inside of you and can afflict your life long term. It can hold you down. It can get keep you in a less life. I want you to look at a story with me that uh, illustrates how Jesus helps people who are rejected, who've been rejected. The story is found in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse number 11. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance. Now that phrase stood at a distance really gives a frame of reference for what we're going to see here as the story unfolds. Crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he'd done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no, has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. In the story, you see Jesus reaching out to ten very hurting people, ten people who had been rejected. There are a lot of things in the story that we could talk about. Certainly there's a whole message or even perhaps even a series of messages and just the one that came back and gave thanks to God. But we're not going to focus on that one today. I want to talk just about all ten of these guys for a moment. These ten guys are in the Bible because they had been afflicted with something called leprosy. And leprosy was a terrible disease back in biblical days. It was not just a matter of what it did to your body physically, the effect that it had upon you from the, just the physiological dimension, but when you were diagnosed with leprosy, there were a number of events that would transpire in your life. First of all, you were considered to be unclean by everyone in the community. That means that you had to stand at a distance. When someone would approach you, you could not go near them. There was no longer any human contact. You could not connect with another human being once you had been diagnosed with this disease. 
In addition, you, are, you were ostracized from worship at the temple because you couldn't come in and worship because, again, being considered unclean, you couldn't enter into the presence of God. And so even the worship community pushed you aside and said, you're no longer acceptable to us. And so lepers were rejected by the general community and lepers were rejected by the worshiping community. The only place that a leper could find any solace at all was with other lepers. That's why they colonized. They formed leper, leper, leopard, leopard's colonies. And so they would join together and they would, they would commiserate in their pain and their agony, just living lives of deep, deep rejection. And the Bible says that one day there are 10 of these guys that are hanging out together because nobody else wanted to be with them. Have you noticed how misfits find other misfits? And here are the misfits hanging out with the other misfits and nobody wanted to be with them. And they call out to Jesus. And there in that moment, Jesus becomes their friend. When no one else would be their friend, Jesus becomes their friend. Isn't it great to know that we can find a friend in Jesus? When anybody and everybody else says, you know what? You're not worth anything to me. We're not going to let you in our group. You're not going to be a part of our crowd. We're not going to even let you be accepted by us at any level. Jesus comes along and says, let let me get into your world. Let me draw near to you. Let me be your friend. And so Jesus became a friend to the the lepers that day. And in that moment, he spoke a word to them that not only brought healing to their body, but brought something else that's very significant that a lot of people don't realize when they read that passage. Jesus, when they asked for healing, Jesus said this to them. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. Remember reading that a moment ago? Go show yourselves to the priest. He didn't, first of all, say be healed. He didn't say your your leprosy is removed. He didn't say anything like that at all. All he said to them was, go show yourself to the priest. And in their going, there was the healing by the way, just as a side note, if you, keep, if you go forth in obedience to God, there's healing for your life. Anytime you follow God's word and live in obedience to him, healing comes. So as they went, they began to experience this healing process so that by the time they arrived at the priest, here's what happened. There was only one in the community that could bring them back in and, and stamp upon them a stamp of approval again and allow them to be accepted, and that one was the priest. And so that day... Jesus not only healed them physically, but brought them back into a place of acceptance and value and worth in the community. And what I want you to know today is that if you've experienced some deep rejections, rejections in your life and you've been wounded in your soul and you carry that around with you and maybe it makes you angry, maybe you find yourself depressed about it, maybe you find yourself isolated from people, maybe, you, maybe you're always wondering about your own worth and value and struggle with low self-esteem and wonder if you have any worth at all to people, to society, or worth to God, I want you to know today that Jesus reaches down to people who've been rejected and he is the one who is the refuge for folks like that. He comes in, he will be your friend, he will heal you in the deepest places of your life so that you, like these 10 lepers, can move from a less life to a more life. There's a third group of people that I want to share with you, or a third individual I want to talk to you about today, and a third point that I want you to see, and that Jesus helps successful people become significant, find significance. So often when we study the Bible, we we tend to think of, of everyone that came to Jesus being in some kind of massive, great Uh, physical need or financial need or something that 
represented some massive external sort of issue in their life. But some of the folks that came to Jesus were just your average everyday folks, and some were folks that were actually quite successful in their life, but they still needed Jesus. And what you have to understand is that Jesus doesn't just care for those whose lives look and feel broken. Jesus cares for everybody. No matter what status you're in life, what socioeconomic dimension you are in life, if you're at the top of the ladder or if you're at the lowest rung of the ladder, you still need Jesus. doesn't matter. Okay, You still need Jesus. And Jesus does a wonderful thing. He takes people who are successful and helps them to find real significance. And there's a difference between success and significance. Success is what you achieve. Success is what you acquire. I'm successful because I achieved something or I'm successful because I acquired something. All the uh, accoutrements of success that we often carry, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the clothes that you wear, etc. These are the things that say, I'm successful. But success is not enough in life. What God made you for is not for success. God made you for significance. And significance is about who you are and how you really live your life. You know, you can be successful on the the outside and be a devil on the inside you can be successful on the outside and still have major character issues inside of you and so if all you're doing is measuring your life by what you achieve or by what you acquire in life you're you're using the wrong tape measure you're using the wrong source to really measure what life is all about real life is not measured by your success nothing wrong with success success is valuable and I would encourage you to work to be successful but don't have your identity in your successes your identity is in your relationship with God, okay? Nothing wrong with success. But there's something else that we need more, and that's this sense of significance, that I'm living my life with something valuable on the inside. I have a relationship with God. I know Him, and He knows me, and I'm walking with Him, and it doesn't really matter what I've achieved or what I've acquired because I'm secure in something that is much deeper than that. There's a man in Scripture that I want to draw your attention to who was very successful, but he didn't have significance until after he met Jesus. And the story is found in John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Here we're introduced for the first time to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus one night. We don't know exactly why he came that night. Perhaps he came because he didn't want his other Pharisee friends to know that he was approaching Jesus. Perhaps he came at night because it was an easier time to have access to Jesus. We don't know for sure. Someone said he was the original Nick at night, and indeed he was, okay? But he comes to Jesus at night, and he approaches him with this statement of affirmation. Jesus, Rabbi, in fact, he called him your teacher. He acknowledged his authoritative capacity, and he also acknowledged the miracles that Jesus was doing. And so here, is he, here he is as a man who was very well respected. He was a Pharisee. That means that he had studied the law. He was a doctor of the law. He was a man who was well educated. To be a Pharisee mean that, meant that you were at the top 
of the top of the rung of the ladders of religious leaders in your society. He was also part of the ruling uh, council, the Sanhedrin. That means that he was a part of the Jewish Supreme Court. When issues needed to be resolved, it was this group of men that the issues would come to. And so Nicodemus, he was at the top rung of the ladder. He was in the essence of the high, uh, rarefied atmosphere of success in his life. So he's really at a very, 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 very key point of success. But yet he knew that something was missing inside of him. He longed for something more. And every time he heard Jesus preach a message, every time he saw Jesus heal someone, something on the inside you know, said, there's got to be more for me. Uh, this is not enough for me. I've got my success, but I'm still missing something on the inside. What is it that I'm missing? What is it that I feel every time I'm around this man? I've got to find out what is more. What is the more that I need for my life? It was that drive, that desire that drew him to Jesus that evening. It's interesting that when when Nicodemus comes to Christ that night and says, Rabbi, teacher, we know that God sent you because all these miracles that you're doing, Jesus did not did not talk about any of that with Nicodemus. Jesus goes straight to the issue and said, Nicodemus, let me tell you what you're looking for. You need to be born again. He didn't take any time to go around the circles with Nicodemus and talk to him about all the different issues of life. He said, Nicodemus, let me tell you what you're really looking for. And what you're really looking for is you're looking for a real, meaningful, personal relationship with God. You've got religion, but you don't have a relationship with God. And there in that moment... This man, who was successful, who was well-respected in the community, who from everything that we can tell from what we know about him in Scripture was also wealthy, had plenty of money, he was not hurting financially at all, but he was still missing this relationship with God. From what we can tell in Scripture, that night he opened his life to Christ and he became a follower of Jesus and committed his life to him. How do we know this? Because after Jesus was crucified, who do we find outside of the tomb? We find Nicodemus there helping with the process of Jesus' burial. He became a follower of Christ. And what I want you to know today as well is this. If you're at a place in life and you've had some success, you've achieved some things, you've acquired some things, that's great, good for you, that's awesome. But that's not enough. Success in life is not enough because you can live your whole life and be successful and die without significance. And my challenge to you is, are you going to live for success or are you going to live for significance? Are you going to live for something that really matters? Are you going to bring your all to Jesus and say, Jesus, it really doesn't matter what success I have in life. What matters is I want my life to count for your glory. I want to live a life of significance. Jesus takes successful people and brings them into a place of significance. The real message for us is this. God says... I have more for you. I want you to have a full life. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came so that you have life and have it to the full. There's a more life. And I don't want you to settle for less because God made you for more. And we say, well, God, that's awesome. I I want the more, but you don't know, God, the kind of stuff that's going on in me. You don't know me, God. God says, yes, I do. I know everything that's going on in you. I know if you're lost, I can help you be found. I can help you find salvation. I know that if you're bound, that I can bring you liberty and freedom. I know that if you're sick, I can heal you. I know that if you're oppressed, 
I can liberate you from oppression. I know that if you've experienced rejection and it's holding you down, that I can heal the rejection in your soul. And I know that if you're successful, but you don't have significance, I can introduce you to a life of significance. Because when I do for you what you can't do for yourself, it is my power, not your power, that brings you from less to more. Amen? We are powerless, but he is powerful. I will not settle for less. God made me for more. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful for the opportunity and the privilege that we've had to study it. We're thankful that you've given us instruction in your word. And I just want to take a moment this morning, Lord, and pray for every person across our campuses this morning. You know all the needs of every life. You know those that feel oppressed. And Lord, I thank you today that you're the God that de delivers us from oppression, from places where we've been pressed down. I pray for those that have bound, feel that, that pressure upon their life. I pray that today they would begin to realize that you are the one that sets them free and begin to lift them up, pull them up out of that, we pray today in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.